Sean and Caitlin are on break this week, but while they're off, Dad's Daughters and Dollars is still on. Here's an encore of one of their most popular episodes. Enjoy. Welcome to Dad's Daughters and Dollars, a financial podcast for everyone. Now, here's one of my favorite people. (laughs) I'm Sean the Dad, clearly the favorite. And I'm Caitlin, the daughter, clearly my dad's mistaken. Welcome to Dad's Daughters and Dollars. God, I'm so happy that you're all here. Thank you to all our listeners. We now have four countries who have joined us, Australia, Sweden, Canada, and Ireland. Ireland, the place where my mom was born, so I'm really happy about that. We love you all, and then you had a shout-out, didn't you? Yeah, I just wanted to shout-out um, one of my best friends. His mom listened, and I just, Kathy, I love you, and thank you for Kathy listening Kathy in as well. Seattle, hello. <laughs> well, uh, Edmonds, Washington, but um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, love you all, and yeah. Thank you to everyone who gave us feedback and shared our podcast with their friends and family. Uh, we're only as good as this community. All right, so what are we talking about today? Because um, I know my daughter said to me when we finished our last podcast, she said, hey, why don't we do an episode on how you bought the house? Yeah, because I don't think, I kind of think buying a house is a pretty stressful thing, and I don't even know where to start. You know, I generally know how to start filling out a tax form, you know, oh, put your name here, put your birthday here, social security here. But otherwise, I just go, huh? And then when it comes to a house, so yeah, definitely good stuff to know. All right. So today we're going to talk about how I bought our house and my tips for buying a house. Number one, and we talked about this in another episode, you got to have as little debt as possible. So no credit card debt, hopefully no car debt. And this will affect whether you get a house loan and the rate of the house loan. So I know we talked about this in the credit and credit report episode, that the better your credit is the better rate you'll get on big things, and a big thing being buying a house. Right. So when we bought this house, we had no credit card debt and no house debt, Mommy and I. Wow. So that's the number one thing. I don't think a lot of people are in that position. That's very fortunate. That's awesome. Well, You guys made the sacrifices to, you know, live a debt-free life. Yeah, well, potentially people would have some car debt, but we saved up the money to buy our cars with cash. And two, we never don't pay... I think it's easy to pay off your credit card debt each month if you don't like overspend. So that's easy to do. Cars, sometimes somebody doesn't have $20,000 for a car. I get it. All right. So number two, you got to figure out how much house you can afford. And this is the general formula. Okay. You got to take 25% of your monthly income should equal three things. Your monthly mortgage, and a mortgage is basically a house loan. Mm Mm-hmm your property taxes, and your home insurance. So those things, three things added up should come to 25% of your monthly salary. Or, or about, less. Yes. So if you find that you, your mortgage is 50% plus home insurance plus property taxes, add it to be 63% of your salary. That's probably a ridiculous thing, but not only that's that not a, a good not idea. Not only is that a house you can't afford, that's probably a house that a bank will never in a million years give you a bank loan on. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I'm going to give you an example. Someone makes $5,000 a month, so that comes to $60,000 a year. Mm-hmm. So one week's salary is approximately $1,250. So $1,250 should be your home loan, mortgage, right, 
your property taxes and your home insurance added up should not come to more than twelve fifty. And that's per month. Correct. So, you know, we can speculate all we want. I don't want to, you know, dote on it for too long. But are there any houses out there that are? Well, you're talking about because you live in California, you can't imagine it. But yes, around the country, yes, there are houses that mm. are reasonable. Okay. You have to decide where you want to live and how far from where your job is that you want to live. But things are possible and you, you potentially have to relocate to another part of the country. But it is possible. Right. Um, so when you add those three together, we're saying that should not come more than 25%. In our case, we didn't go above the 25% on just my salary. Oh, so combined it was less. Right. So we didn't even count mommy's salary towards whether or not we could pay our mortgage because we live in a freelance you know, industry working in television. Right. We never know if our show is going to go 13 weeks and then stop. Right. So that's what we did. And we had that little extra bit of cushion in case one of our shows did get canceled. Yeah. So I'll just ask this. Do you think that in the, in applying for a bank loan and applying for it and, you know, getting an interview with a bank, I don't even know if that's a thing. uh, Do you think it was at all harder to get a house because you do live in a freelance world where there is, you know, sometimes four entire months where you're not working? Absolutely. And and this is why, and I was going to get to it later in the show, but we can talk about it now, is we used a mortgage broker. Usually when you're looking for a loan, and that's one of my points coming up, is you're going to a bank and you're looking online, what are the best rates, and that type of thing. And then sometimes they're like going, well, okay, you got to show us your last check. Well, we were buying a house when we were on hiatus, meaning we knew our shows were coming back. We both had shows to go to, but we weren't going to be working for about two months. And they're like, show us your last check. And if our last check was in March and we're looking for something in May, they're like, wait, no, where's your check from May? Yeah. We said, we don't have one. And they didn't, that didn't compute in the bank's mind. Right. So we used a mortgage broker who used, who works with a lot of people who are freelance. So they're going, listen, they showed this amount of earnings over their career. Let's say these four to five to seven years so far, they're pretty steady increases in salary and they're doing okay they can afford this amount of house, so then that mortgage broker is dealing with many, many lenders, and then they can get us pre-approved. Got it. All right, so the number one tip was have as little debt as possible. Number two, figure how much house you can afford, not more than 25% of your monthly income. And then you have to save a down payment and the closing costs. So a down payment, I will always recommend this, um, is save to 20% of a house. So if a house costs 200000 you got to save 40000 Why? Because when you put down 20%, then you can get a fixed rate loan. And especially you who works in photography and sports photography and stuff, you're a freelancer. Right. So you can't um, necessarily rely on um, that your salary is going to keep going up or the jobs are going to keep coming. But when you have a fixed rate loan, you know exactly what your mortgage is every month you go, even if I don't work 52 weeks of the year, I can afford this. Mm. If you have an adjustable rate loan, what's an adjustable rate loan? Adjustable rate means as the interest rates go up and down, it can adjust. So, you know, you're like, wow, I got into this house and I'm only paying $1,000 a month and I'm making, uh, I'm, yeah, I'm only paying $1,000 a month and I'm making $1,500 a week. This is great. Then you turn around and it jumps up to 1490 because an interest rate changed. Oh. With a fixed rate loan, it's that for the rest of time. It yeah, can't change. It won't change on you. 
So hopefully... So you always know what to expect. Right. So if you have a 30-year fixed rate loan um, and you, you can expect over time that your salary will go up, your fixed rate is still the same amount at year one as it is in year 30. So as your salary goes up, you go, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel because the house isn't costing me as much as it did initially when I bought it. Right. Um, okay, so you save the 20% down because you want to get a fixed rate loan. The number other re- Another reason you want to save the 20% is you don't want to pay PMI. What is PMI? That, that's short for private mortgage insurance. One of these days we're going to do a show about things I really dislike, <laughs> and private mortgage insurance would be maybe number one or two on the list. Private mortgage insurance. Out to get you. Yeah. It costs approximately one percent of the total loan of the uh, of your loan. So if you uh, had a house and it was two hundred thousand dollars, and you put down twenty thousand, you put down ten percent. So you owe one hundred ninety. You owe one hundred eighty. Right? Oh, one hundred two hundred minus right. twenty, right? So you owe one hundred eighty thousand. Approximately one percent of that, and sometimes it's higher depending on the state or wherever you're they're getting the PMI from. It's going to be, that would be $1,800, like 1% of, and that's $1,800 spread over the 12 months. Right. So you're paying that until your loan goes to at least 20% down. Wait, am I crazy? Is that $1,800 a year? Oh, a year. I thought it was, I was calculating that it was $18,000 a year, but that's 10%. So yeah. Yeah. 1%. Okay. So. My math is off today. Sorry, guys. Here's the problem on why I really dislike PMI, private mortgage insurance. It's intended to protect the lender, not you, the borrower. And what do I mean? So they say, all right, you're a freelancer. You bought this $200,000 house. You only put down $20,000. We think you're a good credit risk because we looked at your credit report and it looks great. But just to be sure, we're going to make you get this private mortgage insurance. So that if for some reason you default on the house, which means after one year you go, I can't afford to pay this anymore. I'm walking away from the house. Who pays the bank back? The private mortgage insurance will pick up the balance. Wow. Now, okay, so that's good for the bank. What does the bank get? The bank gets the private mortgage insurance paying off the house, Mm. the rest of the loan, and the bank gets the house back they reclaim the house to resell. So they win it twice. Oh, wow. Exactly why I hate PMI, private mortgage insurance. Yeah, because then you've just also been taking that $1,800 a year and not putting it towards anything Savings else. towards or, or, or even paying off the house. equipment or whatever. So You're just paying it so that the bank is fine in the end. They win twice. Wow. They're saying, even though you have a great credit report, we don't totally trust you because you didn't put down 20%. So they hold all the cards. They're going, okay, you, they're not picking up private mortgage insurance to protect themselves. They're saying you pick it up and protect us. Mm. And then if you do walk away from the house and default on the house and, you know, claim bankruptcy or whatever, they get the house back and then they resell it. So if you walked away and you still had $180,000 on the loan, the private mortgage insurance will pay that off. And now they still have a house that you bought for two hundred thousand. That even if they only sell it for one eighty, they now have three hundred sixty thousand. Wow! So, so they win big time. This is why I don't like. Well, PM. 
So let me ask just one quick question. If let's say you only had 18% of a house down, you didn't have the full 20, but you had more than 15, does that get you a better shot at all of of a fixed? uh, No. Oh, so it's 20 or nothing. Well, there are definitely things. I know there's there's rules for uh, like veterans can get like no PMI. Okay. And you'd have to look online. There's some other instances, but in, but for gen- the most part, in general, you don't put down 20% PMI. So if you don't put down 20% PMI and if you don't put down 20%, no fixed rate. Correct. Wow. So it's a twofer. Exactly. That's two major reasons as to why you should just... Yeah. Put down the 20%. Now, what does the 20% mean? It means you have to really cut whatever stuff you're spending as you're trying to save for a house. If you go, okay, you know, the average house, let's say, costs 500000 in California, right? In the area you want to go. That means I got to save 100000 Wow. How are you going to do that? You have two people, they're married, they're a young couple, they're 24 years old. Each person's making 60000 That's 120. You go, can we save $40,000 a year? And then after five years, we, you know, or whatever, after, you know, two and a half years, we have enough for a down payment. Right. So there's that. All right. So I said, you got to save for a down payment. The other thing you have to save for is closing costs. So closing costs are various things like you have to pay an appraisal fee, home inspection fee, credit report fee, delivery fees, like between the escrow company and the bank, all that stuff. So delivery fees, what are they delivering? The money that's being transferred probably and wired no, because you'll wind up probably paying, uh, signing about 30 different documents. Oh, right. And so these three documents go to there and now they have to be signed off by that person. They have they to be sent. approved. And, this, and now and this, that. the title company wants their documents signed and all right. that stuff. Okay. So the closing costs can be as much as three to 4% of the purchase price. Wait, what? Exactly. So you just bought That's a, more than the PMI. Exactly. That's so, a lot. <laughs> so you just bought a $200,000 house. You had the 20% down. So you put 40 $40,000 down, your bank loan is now 160. The closing costs to have like the escrow fee and this fee and that fee, sometimes it'll be as much as 3%, so that's another $6,000. If it was 4%, it'll be $8,000. So it's 3% of the entire cost of the house that you're buying it for. Correct. It's correct. not what's left over after you've put down your 20%. 3 to 4% of the purchase price. Ugh. Exactly. So wow. then, So let's say the person who wants to buy the $200,000 house who has been so great, they saved 40000 they need another six. Jeez. Oh exactly. That's, that's some people's... Exactly. Oh, I make $6,000 over the span of and, two months, three months. And that's why people borrow money from their parents and, yeah. you know, their great uncle who loves them or grandpa who really wants to help them get in a house. That's why that happens. Yeah. And even if they pay them back, at least they had the money up front. So they got into the house before the, maybe the market went up. Yeah. And also, too, you just have the long term effects seem a bit better. You know, you're paying off a the interest on the loan sooner, you know, because if you, if you have a million dollars sitting in the bank, it's ready to go. You maybe have more than that and you can go and buy a a $900,000 house because of whatever other costs and the closing costs and all of that. And you got to pay the mortgage broker or whatever. Um, thinking about the million dollars sitting there, if you just pay it off now, you're not paying interest on that 900,000. Cause obviously, you know, I think you said in the first couple of years when you'd bought this house, 
for the first couple of years, you were paying off the interest of the loan, right? Oh, I probably think it's at least the first seven to eight years you're only paying Yeah, you're interest. not paying towards that, Principal. you know, 160000 for quite some time, which I just think is ridiculous versus if you could just, okay, I'm Rihanna, I'm going to buy a $1 million house and it's a little bungalow in the middle of nowhere, a million dollars right now, that's not costing her more than that much more than a million dollars because she's just giving it to them right then. They're like, oh, I guess we have it now. Okay. Well, let me just tell you a quick. Too bad I'm not Rihanna. Let me just tell you a quick hack about how to get around or not totally get around when you're only paying interest up front. Right. So let's say you have a $160,000 loan. You bought the $200,000 house, put $40,000 down. Let's say your payment a month is $1,800. It'll say in your statement, the amount of interest is, let's say, $1,750, and the principal is 50 But usually in that little statement, it'll say additional principal. So if you want to put additional principal, when you put $100, so you put $50 was what you're only paying in month one. Mm-hmm. You're paying $1,750 worth of interest. But if you put $100 on top of that, so you pay a total of 1900 but you write it in the column that says additional principal, you now paid 150 towards the actual principal. Oh. So we did that with this house, and therefore I paid off this house in 22 years instead of 30. Is that, uh, I don't want to say common, but is that I think more completely people, unexpected? Most people only ever do it in 27. Oh, most people usually wind up taking a second mortgage and all these other things, and we know plenty of people who are freelance who, you know, one are now living in apartments because they had to get rid of their houses. Right. And most people do pay it off in 30, not last time. Okay. Well, Um, nice. All right. So then I'm going to tell you point number four about tips for buying a house. Get pre-approved for a loan. So- uh, Is that a whole process you're going to- Yeah. So you have to- you go look online. So you you can look at online lenders. You can look- you can go personally into banks. They're going to check- how much money, they're, so they're, they're going to ask for a couple of things. They're going to want to see like, oh, uh, can you show us tax returns so mm. that you show you're consistently a good risk? Like, oh, this is a person who earns money and is not constantly unemployed. Right. Um, they're going to want to see uh, your credit report. Mm. Um, they're going to do a number of things like how much money do you have to put down? Mm. Uh, can you show us your last pay stub? All that stuff. And then you get from them a, a letter of pre-approval. So before you even look for a house, you should have this pre-approval letter. Since we used a mortgage broker because we were freelance and a lot of banks didn't get like we don't have a pay stub that is one week ago. The pay stub is six weeks ago because we we're on a big hiatus, even though our show was picked up. And in general, we were making more money working 35 weeks of the year than a lot of people were making 52 weeks. Mm-hmm. So, but... Sometimes that doesn't compute in the banker's mind. So through our mortgage broker, she got us pre-approved with like seven lenders. Oh, so they were all saying, yeah, we looked over your stuff and this is a client we would normally take and we can sign off on that. Exactly. Nice. So So it makes it a a faster process? Yes. Nice. Now, do you want to, did we actually pay a fee to the mortgage broker? No, but I'm sure it's tacked into whatever the lender's charging us for fees they're getting a piece. Is that is that the, part of that six thousand? Yeah, they're probably getting a piece in closing because yeah, once you close on a house, you know, yeah, the, realtor gets a chunk of that. Whoever gets a chunk on that. Yeah, so then I'm sure the uh, mortgage broker got 
they take it someplace out of the pie. Right. All right. So the fifth, the fifth thing you need to find, look for a home for sale in your price range. So you, there's ways to do this. You can actually go and go, these are the neighborhoods I want to live in. And you go and look for any houses that are, have like open houses where you can go and look. And then because of all the online stuff, you can look at houses online before you actually go physically look at them. And just try and go through as many that in neighborhoods that you like. So you have to check neighborhoods that you think are the best fit because you can't assume that you're going to move out of that house in five years. Assume that you're going to live in that house forever. Right. And if you do move up and move to another neighborhood that you think is even a better neighborhood, that's fine. But you have to check out the neighborhood. Like what I did when we bought this house, I came here every day after work before we bought this house, before we made an offer. And I parked the car across the street just to see what the neighborhood was like. And I sat in my car for two hours and just watched, oh, there's look at all these people coming by with their golden retrievers. Oh, it's a nice neighborhood. Oh, look, um, there's nobody like running around doing any sketchy type stuff that like if I have a family, I'll, they'll be safe here. Right. So it's that type of things. So but when and you go and find um, a house that's in your price range, you should go to your savings Subtract your six months emergency fund, mm-hmm. and now subtract whatever is the twenty percent plus the approximate three percent of closing costs. All right, so it's a lot of money you're taking out of your whole your whole. You know, I have three different accounts: one's a savings, one's a checking, one's a brokerage, or well, maybe I have two. In general, checking, where the money came, all of that. The, where the money came from this house was from our savings. So let's say you are buying the $200,000 house and you're putting down $40,000 and you wind up paying $6,000 in closing costs. But before you bought the house, your general costs were between health insurance and uh, gas for the car and groceries, groceries, whatever, electricity, whatever, was approximately, let's say you were putting out $1,500 a month. So you should have 1,500 times six, $9,000. Right. And then the other $46,000. Exactly. How is anyone going to get into a house? This is, well, the point of this show, and I'm glad you asked me that we talk about it, because it is, people have to get really serious about saving when you get in a house. And for me, owning a house was one of the best things I ever did. Not because it went up in value, but because as a freelancer, we had a home base, someplace we could go. Right, yeah. You know, because... One week I'm working at that studio. I'm now working at this studio. My show was canceled. Now I'm going here. But I had home base. That's kind of a nice benefit of, I guess, living in or owning a house is that, you know, you can live in an apartment for five years. I guess, what, I guess TV shows, they have apartments that were assessed. And it's like, oh, the characters all live there for five years. But you're not actually putting money towards eventually going to own that, eventually towards not, correct. you know, spending. You're just going to keep permanently putting money out towards that versus right now we're not putting out any money for a mortgage. Correct. We well, I'm not going to say we, I'm not. <laughs> Thanks dad. Thanks parents. But um, <laughs> you guys are no longer having to put out money for a mortgage, which is great. Yeah. For over eight years now, I think. Yeah. All right. So here's the sixth and final point of uh, buying a house. You now got to negotiate for the house. So you got to find comps in the area. What do comps mean? It means comparable houses. So you can go on Zillow, and there's a number of places online. Oh, I go can, on Zillow all the time. <laughs> right? So you can find houses. You went in this neighborhood. You looked at four houses. You didn't make an offer, but you just looked at four houses, and the, 
at the open house, the broker's like, oh, who represents you mm. and all that stuff. And then you go through the house and you take the little pamphlet they give you of what's the pros and cons of the house. And then you go and try and find what that neighborhood is selling for. And you can probably put into Zillow this area code and you can actually put this street and maybe five streets on either side. Yeah, of it. you can get really specific. You can draw the boundary of it. I've I've just done it to look at fun backyards and see what real estate photography looks like, quite frankly. But um, there's some pretty houses. Right. <laughs> so here's I'm going to tell you how we bought this house and how I negotiated. And to try and convince you, do not be afraid to lowball. And by lowball means at least 10% below what the house is being offered for. Okay. So this house was being tried to be sold for 240,000. Okay. We bought it for 209. Okay. And I think the first offer I made was 200,000. So 40,000 below. Yeah, well, that's more than 10%. 10%. Correct. Now, why did I do that? This house hadn't sold in 3 to 4 months and it wasn't in bad condition. But when you came in the house, most houses are staged. Stage means even if the person's not living there, the real estate broker has put in furniture and it makes it look like, oh, this is the you place. You can imagine yourself there. You could imagine. It's not just an empty room. was completely completely empty. And I believe the people who previously owned it, they the parents were transferred to Atlanta to work there. Mm. So they had we knew they had bought a house there, but they still hadn't sold this one. So they're probably carrying the mortgage on two houses. Right. So I thought... There's an opportunity for me to offer two hundred thousand, and when I did the comps, I think the comps were more like two twenty nine. Oh, when you averaged out, you know, what is a general house in this? Yeah, and and the reason why worth. they're listing it for two forty is because they put whatever energy into the house, however long they lived here, renovating and it, and they fell in love with it. Right, so they can't imagine not getting top dollar because it was their baby. Right. And nobody can think of it not being their baby. Well, it hadn't sold for three to four months. So I said, I am going to lowball it. So I had that opportunity mm-hmm. and we got it for 209. So it was. Was that a, a lot of back and forth or did you offer? You said your first offer I was 200. Was 200, then like 205, and we got it for 209. And I was more than willing to pay that. And this is why I'm really happy. Six weeks later, about eight doors down, a real estate broker, and they have a lot of inside information of what's selling, what's not, and right. what's a good deal, what's not, bought a house for 249000 Wow. So in six weeks, the value of my house went up. Maybe not to two forty nine, because the one difference, that house was smaller and had a smaller lot. The one difference they had was a pool, right. but a pool is not worth $40,000, Yeah, especially after it's been there for like 20 years. So- a Some people estate, really want pools, but yeah, no. But a real estate We've broker. We've lived fine without a pool. A real estate broker bought for two forty nine when I got this for two oh nine. So I knew the value of my house probably in six weeks went up twenty thousand to really the two twenty nine. What wow. the comps were really at least. Hmm. So okay, what's the takeaway? Do your homework in advance. Put down at least twenty percent. Yeah. That's the that's a that's the double whammy two for uh bang for your buck is that is that takeaway because then you're avoiding the PMIs and you're also getting a fixed rate. Fixed rate loan. Look at me learning. Exactly. So <laughs> do your homework, put the 20% down and don't be afraid to negotiate because you're not negotiating directly with the with the owner of the home. Right. You're telling your real estate agent and then they tell the real estate agent of the other person. 
Right. So these these two people in the middle that are outside the two of you, and that you can negotiate. Yeah, now, it's not like you're in a bargain market and you have to make a decision right then, right there, sign the papers now or walk. You know, it's right. a more calm process. Right. So that's what we have for today. Nice. That was, um, I didn't, I think he had mentioned PMIs before. Like there are a lot of things that you generally don't enjoy or despise of. I just think. But that was th- one I'd forgotten about. If I think they're a ripoff, uh, I'll basically say that. Yeah. It's just not worth your time or frankly, your money. So. Right. All right. So that's our episode this week. We want to thank you again, everybody for listening. Please subscribe to Dad's Daughters and Dollars. Leave a review. Leave a comment. I just saw another comment today by uh, um, someone who's over 80 years old and said they're learning a ton from this too. And it really made me happy. Yeah. Um, Well, thank you so much. And uh, we'll see you next time. And hopefully you learned something today and see ya. The content on Dads, Daughters, and Dollars is for informational purposes only and does not constitute professional financial advice. Listeners should consult an attorney, accountant, financial planner, or other professionals to suit your specific needs.